Hi, this is Maximilian Osinski, and you're listening to Talking Lasso. See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Honey, is that an ingredient, or is that something you just call me right now? Ingredient. Shoot, I was kind of hoping it was the other one. How worried are you about the threat of relegation? Well, Lloyd, right now, I'm mostly concerned with the definition of relegation. Congrats. You both just met a cool person. <laughs> on three. One, two, three. Come on, Richmond! Yo. Yo, how's it going, Josh? It's going pretty good. How you doing, Joey? I am very good. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be back here on a slightly different day to normal, which I thank you greatly for. Yeah, not a problem at all. And I'm I'm fine with it, too, because uh makes my home life a little easier. Um, I forgot my kids started doing cross country, so uh, Thursdays <laughs> have become a little more hectic for us. Well, this is how I would always dream, dream to spend my Friday night. So, um, <laughs> yeah, always have to be here with you. Talking with some guy in the Midwest in America. It's the dream on a Friday dream. night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell yeah. So uh, this week's episode, I have I, I came up with a, a Ted Lassoism, if you will, to help describe how we're going to go about this episode. Uh, this episode jumps around more than crisscross at a House of Pain concert. Well done. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> I was really very proud of that good. one. Uh, I got a good eye roll from Ricky as I said it, so I knew it was good. <laughs> um, yeah, it it was. Not only did it jump around a lot, it it was it was a long one. Yeah, was, you can not to sound too dirty, but you can really feel the length of this one. Um, yeah, I you think... can, and that's that's what she said. It's, Giggity. Uh... <laughs> yeah it was so this episode was was about 15 minutes longer than the other episodes this season but you really did feel it josh do you know what we need to do we need to do our spoiler warning <laughs> yes we do this episode contains uh spoilers for ted lasso but most specifically for season three episode six sunflowers so the way we're going to structure this episode is uh, we we broke it down into six story segments because this is kind of a an anthology episode. It's uh, it's also kind of the beard episode from last year or last That's season. Not sully it. That's not sully it just yet, <laughs> but yeah. It's it's basically the the like one night out story that we got with beard, yeah. but it's got multiple storylines happening that uh, have like similar themings and revelations and character growth, uh, not necessarily similar in the character growth area, but um, it's just like a night out that changes things for everyone in certain areas of their lives. Yeah. And, and Josh has split this into six different stories, which we'll be able to go through fairly um, easily because although there is six stories, they do not overlap uh, apart from at the beginning of each of them. Yeah, and uh, they they are fairly quick, despite the fact that um, they they this episode is over an hour long. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I we we broke it down into the team: Will and Higgins, Will and Leslie, Roy and Jamie, Rebecca, um, Colin and Trent, and it's really Ted. But I have it down as Ted and Beard because that's how it starts. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so we're gonna we're gonna kind of sandwich this between. Uh, storylines that we broke up between joey and myself yeah and and we also have within that an intro and an outro to the episode where um basically the 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 premise of this episode is the team are playing a friendly match or an exhibition match which they were very keen to make sure we knew for the american listeners this is an exhibition match and a friendly for 
us across the pond. Um, they're playing a game against Ajax, um, and they're in Amsterdam for the evening, and they get absolutely battered 5-0 by Ajax, which, once again, Josh, I think the writers of this show are exceptionally harsh on newly promoted teams. <laughs> Ajax are one of the most historically massive clubs in European football. Um, and I think about two weeks ago, they beat a team who are a regular in their own league, 13-0. Wow. So to to lose 5-0 to Ajax, I don't like, it's not great, obviously, but it's not as much of like a, a shame as they're trying to put on it here. Well, I think it's more just the that even in an exhibition match, it's it's continuing the downward trend for the team. Yeah. Uh, not that it goes towards the record, but it's definitely not good for morale to travel to. I don't know how far Amsterdam is from uh, wherever Richmond is supposed to be, but it's probably about two hours flight. It's not that far. OK. Um, yeah. So the other things that I think are important in the intro, there isn't a lot in the intro that's important is basically setting up that the team need to blow off some steam. Um, the important things is uh, that in the crowd, there's a no Zava, no bother sign. So the fans are angry about Zava leaving. I think the point was that the Ajax fans wanted to see Zava again. We see that he is one of their ex players. Um, did you notice the timeline that he was at the club for, which I thought was quite funny? I, I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, it wasn't it like 2013 to 2013, one season. Yeah, it was. It was. If if a whole season. Yep. Because um, don't forget that the European seasons run from September to May. Okay. So if it was 2013 to 2013, the odds are it could have been September to December. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good point. <laughs> Um, we, we also then, know with Zava that he's only played with one team for more than one season, it seems, because I think he, he wasn't it like 14 teams in 15 years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they uh, really hit home that Roy does not feel that this match is important. He says it's a pretend match. We're in a pretend stadium. This is a pretend conversation. <laughs> I love um, that line. <laughs> it was very good. Um, and then Keeley is there purely to blow off Rebecca. And to set up her storyline by saying that she's going to to Norway with Jack in a private jet to view, and I can't remember the exact way she put it, the Aurora Borealis, and it's the the best one in years. It's the most Aurora Borealis, or something along those lines. Yeah, I, I can't um, remember either. Um, honestly, I did not. I kind of watched this episode twice, but only for the parts that I was going to be breaking sure. down. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I did on my second view because yep. um, it's a long one, as we said. It is a long one, but then we we get back on we're, we're on the coach um, waiting to leave, and Ted and Beard notice that the entire team look dejected and not themselves. And Ted turns around and says, "No curfew tonight. I'll see you back here on the bus. You can do whatever you want." Which, in the middle of the season and in Amsterdam, is a big deal. Um, they don't get a night off in the middle of the season. That's for their summer break. So um, the team want to make the most of this. Yeah, before we go any further on that, um, I just want to point out we we got some good wordplay from Ted and Beard in that moment uh, before Ted calls the no curfew. Um, Beard says, you only, want, only you can get these guys out of their pineapple percussions. And Ted takes a second. He thinks, Dole Drums. I don't know if Dole is a brand of uh, fruit provider out there for you guys, but I that one got a good chuckle out of me. 
No idea, but um, I yeah, I thought that was quite good as well. That was a very that was very Ted Lasso, I think is the only way to describe that. It was very Ted, um, which I thought was good. But then while the team are like really excited to go out and have a party in Amsterdam, Roy is pissed off and sits at the back and just screams, "Not you, Tom!" <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then I really like that Jamie was like, "Oh, I really want to go out," and he says, "No, we've got training." And he grabs his bag. Uh, Roy grabs Jamie's bag and hands it to Will and says, "Throw this stuff away," <laughs> yeah. which I thought was really funny. Uh, but Jamie walked past him and goes, "Don't throw that stuff away, yeah." And then Will's conflicted because, like, um, who do I listen to? Who am I more afraid of? <laughs> I really like Will's. Will's the actor who plays Will, and I wish I knew his name. Um, the actor that plays Will is so good at playing like the terrified man just with his face that he doesn't need the words to express it. Yeah, um, let me but look also, that up Will has you. the the best uh, throwaway comedy line in this episode, in my opinion. Uh, his name is Charlie Hiscock. Charlie Hiscock. Yeah, he he's. I really enjoy his facial expressions. But then um, the last thing we get before the the intro music comes in is uh, Jamie and Roy getting ready to run off. And it started off as Jamie not wanting to do it, but then even by the time he's left the coach, he's saying, I'm leaving the coach, coach. Um, let's go train, coach. And um, Jamie's really up for this he, training all night with Roy. Yes, he he has a really great and upbeat perspective in this episode, and I, I absolutely love it. Oh, he stole the show for me this episode. We'll get onto it when we talk about the Roy and Jamie stuff. But um, he, yeah, the, the actor that played Jamie absolutely stole the show this episode. For yes. Me. Um, okay, so we're starting with the team. Now, I'm going to preface this this talk with the team conversation. The team storyline was my absolute least favorite in the whole episode. I thought it was very forced. And the team themselves, I wrote them down here as the whole team are very one note, this whole episode. Yeah. Um, and I know we only have, so you have, it's about an hour and five minutes and there's six stories and intro and an outro. So we probably have about nine minutes per story. And it's quite hard to get like multi dynamic um, characters within that. But they've, they've used three seasons to build these people up as not one dimensional. And I, I think that went out the window in this episode a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I can agree because uh, not to get too deep into what happens with this one. Um, I do think that we needed to see more from Isaac because he yeah. as the captain, I think he kind of needs to be the, the director of the team. And he well, he's still kind of leading by democracy. He, he does that in points, um, but he does them at the wrong points for me. So I'll, I'll, I'll really quickly go through this. I think the way that this episode will run for, for the my notes anyway, I'm going to give you a whistle-stop tour of the story itself, and then um, I want to talk to you about what, what you thought of it. So the team themselves um, are sat in, in the bus, and they decide that they're going to go on a mad night out on it in Amsterdam, and Isaac says we'll all meet in the bar at five o'clock, the hotel bar at five o'clock. Great. They do that. They all meet in the bar. The waitress comes over and says, can I get you a drink? And he says, no, no, we're not staying. We're going to go out. And they can't reach consensus as to what they want to do. And the suggestions vary from a canal boat down the, the river, an all night museum tour, going to the Hague, um, to find out what the secrets are. Um, 
to a, Rojas wants to go and see a single tulip, which <laughs> yes. was quite funny, but um they beat that one really heavily too. Like it it, it goes too long and they go too hard into it. Because they're like, well, there you was can just one go see line. A, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Josh. There was one line in there which I thought was really funny, which I'll bring up later to do with the tulip. And you probably picked up on this as well. It was quite it, well, it was not hard to miss. Um but they they so yeah, Rojas wants to see a tulip, and then the two main suggestions come from um, Van Dam, who wants to go and see a live sex show, and Jan Mas, who wants to go to his cousin's all night party, but it's two hours away. And the, all of this episode is spent with two halves of the team arguing. They can't decide on what they want to do, and Isaac says, We're not doing anything unless it's unanimous. So he gets the waitress to bring them drinks. We're going to be here for a while and a stack of um, napkins so that they can vote on what they want and they'll count them up. And it's split between live sex show and all night party, except for one vote, which was for to go and see a tulip, which was funny um, because they said, no, Rojas, you voted to see a tulip. And he goes, you mean someone voted to see a tulip? <laughs> and then they said, well, you wrote it in Spanish. And that's just, I thought they could have ended it there. It was mm-hmm. funny to that point, but it carried on. They eventually decide they're going to go to this all-night party through back and forth. And then they said, well, we need to get food before we go. And the whole thing erupts again. And we have exactly the same premise. They can't agree about what to do. And eventually, and I'm not quite sure how it happened, it looked like, Sam wrote it down and passed it around and everyone agreed. They came up to the consensus that the best thing to do was just have a big pillow fight and like you can't see my face but I was just like where the fuck is this I am come so from? glad you are asking that question because I have a sound clip that answers that question for you. Oh is this okay? This I'll is what you didn't pick up on for God's sake. Alright fellas we got team meal in an hour after that it's either going to be movie night or a pillow fight. What's it going to be this time around? Come on. Hey, all right. But I tell you what, y'all say pillow fight one time, and we'll never watch another movie together again. Season I'm one, so annoyed. Episode I seven. They go. So they play Everton, and they're in Liverpool having a, the time of their lives. And Ted asked them if they would have a pillow fight, and they said no. Sam got the bright idea, <sighs> and the team will never have a movie night again. <laughs> I'm so annoyed. So, so for, um, to coin a game club pod, um, peek behind the curtain here. Josh messaged me yesterday and said, "Did you pick up on the callback to season one?" And I was like, "Well, there was a few here. Was it this? No. Was it this? No." He said, "The main one I want to talk about is in the team story, so we'll talk about that first And I've been racking my brain and trying <laughs> to watch it. And then the whole time watching this episode, I thought the pillow fight is so stupid and out of nowhere. But it makes sense because Sam suggests movie night. They shoot it down. They have a pillow fight. I still think it's really stupid, but it's a good callback. It's a very good callback for people like me that point blank. I did not catch up on it immediately. I slept on it. I'm like, what the hell was the point of the pillow fight? And then I was just like going through episodes in my brain in, in the Rolodex that I have up there. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. And then I had to like figure out which episode that was in so I could make sure I, I got the sound clip because I wasn't sure if you had picked up on it either. I'm so annoyed. <laughs> so annoyed about that. I, that has made my experience of the team story even worse. Um, <laughs> but essentially they have a pillow fight and they all decide that was a good time. And then they get on the bus and everyone's quite pleased. And that is the team story. 
What did you think of the team story, Josh? I didn't hate it. I do think that it it was a bit too long. Um, the the joke of them not being able to come to consensus, I think. Uh, it, it was more just kind of like an excuse for them to allow Colin and Trent to break away. Mm. Um, but I I just I didn't love it. But honestly, there wasn't a lot in this episode that I really loved. I do think um, mm. before we get into actual ratings, I think it's better than the beard episode from season two. But I think that's only that's because of hard. the diversity. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's largely because of the diversity in the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Um Okay, I'm happy to draw a line under the team bit and just not talk about it ever again, Josh. So um, over to you. So the next storyline we're going to talk about is Leslie and Will having an adventure in Amsterdam. Uh, Higgins is going to take Will out to the red light district and going to turn him into a man tonight. And uh, Will is very confused and possibly upset by this. But like you said, he... um, he has some great face acting where we're like, is, is he not opposed to this? Is he opposed to this? <laughs> as they're walking around the red light district looks, Will looks really uncomfortable as Higgins stops in front of the Prince Hendrick building, which I don't know if the three stars is uh, meaning anything or if it's just part of no their idea. signage. Higgins reveals the reason for the visit is to pay respects to the, an American trumpeter named Chet Baker. He fell yeah. out of a window uh, under mysterious circumstances, but Baker is the reason that Higgins is into jazz music and like punk rock culture. Uh, Will excellently. Yeah. Uh, whoop, I lost. Apparently, I didn't find that. Uh, I didn't finish that thought. Um, or I'm just. <laughs> Will excitedly. Oh, okay. Will excitedly believes they're going to solve the mystery of the murder. But no, there's there's no yeah. mystery to be solved. It's just they're there to pay respects. Yeah, and there was a line on that bit as well that I quite liked, and and uh, Higgins says we're not here to solve the murder, but we can agree that drugs are bad, or you shouldn't do things <laughs> under the influence, which I thought was quite funny. Yes, and Will's like, yes, definitely, totally bad, and then he looks a little like uncomfortable. He's like, um, should I tell him? <laughs> which there's no actual foreshadowing. He just has a great look on his face, like, ooh, yeah. Uh, Great then, face acting. Yes. And then they go on to a jazz club where uh, Higgins has got their drinks and he, after he had told Will to uh, find a good table, which he finds Will at a very, quote, exposed table. And Will is now concerned yeah. that this means that the band is going to do some kind of improvisational comedy and call him out for looking funny, um, which... You felt for him then. <laughs> yeah, he was very <laughs> he was very concerned that people were going to make fun of him for looking like a child. Um yeah. The band comes out and uh, Higgins tries to give Will like a little bit of a history lesson on jazz and Will's just immediately engrossed with the band. I mean, whether it's uh, the the lead singer is very attractive or he's there for the music, whatever. He's just like, no, 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 no. Let me just experience this. Hmm. Um, after some drinks, we see that Higgins has started to play air bass while sitting. He's, he's just jamming, playing. The band notices that he's playing and they ask, do you, are you, do you play? And will interrupts and he's like absolutely he does chet baker and he plays and uh that means the band's gonna pull higgins up and he he pulls out an improvisational bass line and he just has a, a great time with the band and the next time we see will and higgins will's loading up the bus telling his mom about his yeah. great night and uh he met a lovely couple that invited him for a threesome <laughs> So that was the throwaway line that I really liked. So th- throughout all of this story, when they're in the jazz club, um, Will keeps looking over and sees this this couple um, making out. And 
he keeps looking over at them. And then when he's applauding Higgins, the, the lady of the couple turns and faces him and gives him a look. And then at the end, when he's loading the bags, he's talking and he's on the phone to his mum. And he uh, <laughs> he's just saying, Amsterdam's great. Amsterdam's great. Oh, yeah, no, we lost. But, but you know, I had a good night out. And then something happens and it gets interrupted. And, oh, it's Beard coming back dressed as uh, Ziggy Stardust. Piggy Stardust. Piggy sorry. Stardust. Um, which I wrote in my notes. So we'll come to this. I wrote Piggy Stardust. Eh? Like, is that funny? Um, which <laughs> just, pff, yeah. Um, but then Will goes... Oh, and I met this lovely couple and they invited me for a threesome, which I just thought was so out of nowhere. And to his <laughs> mum, which was just, it was really funny. I really enjoyed it. Yep. But that's the the uh, Will and Higgins storyline. Yeah. What did you think of this one? I liked it. I think it, w- it was the right length and it was just really fun and cute. Higgins got to have a moment. Will got to have some good comedy. Um, he yeah. He's very one note character where he's just like, very sheepish, but also like innocent in a way. Like, I guess yeah. sheepish would still work with that description as well. So like the fact that this couple just invited him for a threesome and he's just quite charmed by it. I thought it was really <laughs> cute. Yeah. I think this, this one was good. I really like the whole um, lead up to it where every time anyone asked Higgins what he's doing, he's like, Oh, I've got a, I've got a date at the red light district. or I'm going to make Will a man at the red light district. Yeah. Obviously, the insinuation there is that he's going to find a, a sex worker, and uh, and he just wants to go and see some jazz music. It was, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was charming. It was it was a bit by the by that if it didn't happen, we wouldn't see any difference. But mm-hmm. it was it was a nice, charming story. Yeah, and then one thing I did skip over, which you uh, just reminded me, when we we're first walking up to that first building, uh, Will is trying to like pry information out of Higgins. Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Is everything okay at home? And then Higgins stops him. He's like, we're here. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I like this story. It was, it was, um, yeah, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary to the plot, but it was just a nice thing to go through. Um, so I'll talk about now about Colin and Trent. And and just to remind those who it's been a while, we saw... So Colin is uh, homosexual. He um, hasn't told any of his team. No one at the club knows apart from Trent Krim. Um, and at the start of this, Colin is with the team and he pulls out and he says, oh, I've had some dodgy food some bad herring i'm just gonna go to my room for the night and then we see him sneaking out and trent follows him and colin goes to a gay bar and i really liked he said do you serve uh, vanilla vodka and the barman goes god no and he looks really <laughs> relieved and he says i'll just have a beer then but while they're talking about this there was a few things that i thought were really funny he said the barman said to to Colin, "You should stick around. We're going to have a party later." Thunderdong, and I thought Thunderdong was a wild name for a night out. <laughs> um, it gave me like Mad Max flashbacks. But um, while they're talking about this, Trent interrupts and says, "I'll have whatever," and Colin goes full panic mode, and he's like, "Oh my god! Someone from my work life knows that I'm in this gay bar." He says, I'm in the wrong place, and he runs out. Trent follows him, says, I've known for months. And there's only two real scenes as a part of this story. One in the gay bar, where Trent catches him and they run out. And then a second where Colin and Trent are both talking about their experiences 
Trent coming out, Colin being in the closet. I didn't know Trent was gay, or maybe I did, but it's just brushed right over me. Is that something that they've talked about before? It's never been confirmed, but I feel like they did sprinkle some stuff in because I I believe there's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's episode one of season two where Trent is in the, the usual bar that, or pub that Ted and Beard usually go to. And, um, uh, Trent sees Ted looking for Lauren and whatever. And, uh, he he has a, a gentleman in front of him. He's like, I'll I'll be right out in a moment. And I'm like, oh, Trent's uh, gay. And okay. I, that was that was the first time I ever assumed. But they never. It's one of those things where I just went with. They're not explicitly saying saying it because it it should be apparent. Yeah, and and I think they did that really well. I think Trent very much became like the mentor figure in this relationship because the second scene opens with him saying, uh, "I had to come out twice to my mum." Uh, and the second time she knew it was it was real. And Colin's asking these questions like, what does your daughter think of it? And she said, well, never been happier. Everything's really worked out by Trent being who he is. Um, and there's a line in, in what Colin says that I thought was really, really good. Mm-hmm. But Trent basically expresses like, it's hard, it was hard for me to come out, but I'm not a professional athlete. How do you do it? And, and Colin reflects and says, well, my, my whole life is two lives. And he can't let them mix. Um, and he speaks about how he had time with Dr. Sharon, uh, the doctor from season two. And it was only then that he realized that um, he has a, a, a want for those two lives to be one life. And he talks about how um, some men find it exciting, but they get bored of it and then kick him to the curb. And he just seems really unhappy with his current situation. And, it's another one. I think Colin's performance in this is the best we've seen of him mm-hmm. in Ted Lasso. Um, but this story didn't, it didn't go very far beyond Trent acknowledging to Colin that he knows he's gay. And there was a good line in it where Colin says, how did you know? And Trent said, well, I used my excellent detective skills as an investigative, investigative, investigative journalist well, I got there in the end. Um, <laughs> and then there's a pause and he goes, oh, I saw you kissing a man outside Sam's club, which is exactly what you said in the episode. Like anyone could have seen that. Yeah. Um, and then we do see them for a very brief second in the in the montage where we hear the, the jazz music and they're dancing in the, the club on the night out. So they've been able to go back and, and enjoy um thunder dong which you know good for them and colin gets his vanilla vodka which trent does not like <laughs> yes they do um but that's it for, for trent and colin's story it's another short one but um yeah i really like this one there's one line that uh you skipped over that i really enjoyed too where um okay. colin had said he, he's like i just want to kiss my fella like the guys get to kiss their wives and their girlfriends and yeah, that I, one that one hit me right in the feels it was like heck yeah man yeah, I actually have that line written here, but I chose not to say it because the lo- what I've written here is, although some of the dialogue is very corny, and then in quote marks, kiss my fella like the guys get to kiss their girls, um, it still had so much heart. And, and very this scene was very well acted by both of them. Mm-hmm. So I think the dialogue was very corny in in places here, but 
well done on the way it was shot, delivered, and acted. It was it was really good. Um, I've had my worst story, and I think this was my favorite in in the whole episode. I can see that. Um, I think this is probably definitely number two or three for me in the episodes. Okay. Um, I'm a little biased towards the Ted up the Ted arc, uh, which we'll get into here in a moment. Okay. The next arc we're going to cover is Roy and Jamie's arc after they get off the bus, uh, which we already talked about. Roy's arc kind of starts when Rebecca has another. This episode is just full of callbacks, uh, yeah. but Roy asks where Keeley's going. Rebecca tells him somewhere that believes they deserve her, which is a callback to when Roy gave Rebecca similar advice with uh, John Wings Knight, who we met yeah. again last week. Half and half, man. Uh, so after the no curfew call, Roy takes his anger out on Jamie, says that they're going to or says that uh, working out uh, Jamie doesn't get a, a night off from training. Uh, Jamie's clearly OK with spending time with Roy. And then uh, during the run, Jamie basically just is leading the the running <laughs> and uh, is giving Roy just like this sightseeing tour. He's like, here's the world famous skinny bridge as seen in Diamonds Are Forever. And there's the bench from uh, The Fault in Our Stars and. Uh, he does a cartwheel at one point too. He's just, he's just feeling it. He's, he is all about Amsterdam for some reason. I, I saw someone online say that they loved seeing Jamie Tart turn into Wikipedia for this episode. Which I thought was very well done. Uh, so after a while we come back to them and the, it's, it's evening. Roy finally tells Jamie to stop. He needs a breather. Uh, and I love this touch that Jamie's not even breathing heavy. Like Jamie's just yeah. like, come on, old man, let's keep going. And although I, I do have a question about this in season one, where Roy hangs up his boots, he can't run from the taxi to the front door without his knee giving in. Are we supposed to assume that his knee is OK now? Well, he's he starts massaging his knee when they rest here in the the, the first evening shot. Um, okay. But I would assume that somehow with the training, he's kind of rehabilitated his knee a little bit. Or we can just forget that he has a knee problem and they can just run all night. Yeah, it's just it's not relevant to the story or it's not relevant <laughs> to a joke anymore. No. Yeah. Uh, so Roy finally tells Jamie that he needs the breather. Um, Roy asked Jamie why he knows so much about Amsterdam. Uh, and then Jamie's just like, how do you not know anything about Amsterdam? And it's Amsterdam, which Roy then reveals that this is his first time in Amsterdam. And he also doesn't believe that windmills are real windmills are real <laughs> they are real which jamie says challenge accepted and they're gonna find themselves a windmill and they need to get some bikes yeah i like the way that they acquire the bikes i'm sure you've got <laughs> notes on this yep jamie has hired an unhoused person to steal a couple of bikes for them he charges them 60 uh was it 60 euro 60 euro and yeah, jamie's he like 100. Here, here's 100 uh which then roy doesn't want to do anything with the one any roy does not want anything to do with the bikes and then uh, he admits that he never learned how to ride because his granddad was going to teach him uh, when he came home for Christmas from Sunderland. And then his granddad died before Christmas, so he never learned. And that leads to Roy realizing that never learning is actually more disrespectful <laughs> to his granddad's memory than actually learning to ride a bike despite him. Yeah. And uh, I like that because he's like, can we just keep going? Because now I'm feeling really shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and then every time they stop, uh, Jamie shouts for granddad, which I thought was a really nice touch. Yes, uh, which we we then get a, a great training montage where Jamie's teaching Roy how to ride a bike. <laughs> and I think my favorite bit was um, 
once Roy finally gets the hang of it, he's just like, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> he's just like <laughs> riding towards him. She's like, hey, come on. No, no, this is for granddad. No, we're, we're doing good uh, things. Well, uh, I think the thing I really liked was, um, I think the first shot of that montage where he pushes him from the seat like you do when you teach a kid to ride. And then you can just hear Jamie going, pedal, 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 pedal. <laughs> and then he just falls sideways. It's really good. Yeah, and there's a, a really good... Uh, I'm, I'm assuming it was a stunt double, but there's one where like Roy's got a good glide going, but he's not pedaling. And Jamie's telling him like, mm. all right, move your feet, keep going, move your feet. And he just falls, <laughs> like he, he falls again. Stops and completely yeah. sideways. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that training montage was really good. Um, that was, I think that was a highlight in comedy for this episode for me. Mm. Uh, so now they're, now Roy is an expert at riding bikes. So they're, they're riding along and Jamie apologizes for being a dick um re- reveals that he's only been to amsterdam twice first time his dad brought him there under the premise that he was going to go to a football match but it was actually to bring him to the red light district to lose his virginity which he doesn't realize if that's been traumatic for him or not which he said he was 14 at the time mm-hmm. as well which is is an added level of of trauma i think and every time we hear anything about jamie's dad i just fucking hate the man even more yep and i think that just it continues to add layers to this new relationship between roy and jamie too because there's Definitely. clearly a level of trust that they're just revealing all this information to each other too um mm. Then Jamie reveals the second time he was brought to Amsterdam, he, his mom took him on museums and tours, and he had his first Stroopwafel, which <laughs> I, I love the call out for the Stroopwafel. Stroopwafel. Have you ever had a Stroopwafel? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a holiday tradition. Good. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, I don't normally like warm drinks or caramel, but I will do one for a Stroopwafel. <laughs> um, very quickly, um, I once went into my office and my friend was there and they were talking about Stroop waffles because they were done on the Great British Bake Off the night before. And Lawrence, my friend from the office, said, oh, is this one of them? And he pulled the Stroop waffle out of his bag that wasn't in Tupperware, wasn't in cling film. It was just a loose Stroop waffle <laughs> in his backpack and proceeded to eat it at the desk. It was uh, That's what makes me think every time anyone mentions a Stroop waffle. <laughs> Uh, so Roy apologizes on the same ride uh, for taking out everything he's upset about with Jamie. He reveals that he suspects Keely has a girlfriend, which um, I find that part interesting that he's just like, she has a girlfriend. Mm. And uh, like, to, we don't know what evidence he has to support the fact that it's a girlfriend other than just his intuition, I guess. I, I just found that kind of interesting. I don't think we've seen, Roy hasn't seen jack and keely together i don't think so so yeah i thought that was strange as well it was just kind of pulled out of thin air yeah i i I thought that that's probably one of the few script moments where i'm like they probably should have just said i think keely's seeing someone or dating someone because i mean it obviously doesn't affect him that he's seeing that keely is seeing a woman it's just that she is in a relationship with another person um but Jamie takes this moment of vulnerability from Roy and in another great Jamie has grown moment. He's like, let's go find some windmills, keeping the mission and the distraction and the bonding front and center for him. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Then they get back Um, on the bus and Jamie hops on the bus, just shouting, we saw a windmill. (laughs) And everyone cheers. There's one thing you missed (laughs) on the way, on the way back. um, Roy 
falls off his bike again. He veers off the road and oh, disappears. Yes. And and did you notice that when they got back to the bus, they were riding the same bike? Mm-hmm. So they obviously lost the bike in that accident. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch on to that part. No, I thought he just kind of gave up on the bike. Um, but no, no, that makes I, more I sense think, and it's funnier. Yeah, it's, it was good. It was like... Um, yeah, Roy was on the seat and Jamie was standing, <laughs> like school kids used to do. I think that was really funny. But yeah, good story. Yeah, so again, building that bromance between Roy and Jamie, um, continuing to build it and that the trust that they have with each other. Um, this, again, is a, a top three storyline for me with this episode. Definitely. I think, like we said at the start, I think Jamie Tart steals the show here. Yes. Um He's just his energy when he's delivering facts about Amsterdam and then his vulnerability when he admits about his dad bringing him there to the red light district showed such a range of skill in his acting. But mm-hmm. I just, yeah, it, it was hard not to have that in your top one, two or three. Agreed. So this brings us on to Rebecca. Now, Rebecca's story um Keely disappears to the Aurora Borealis thing in the world. Um, and she's on the phone and a Dutch man who we never get the name of. So I'm going to come up with a name for him. He's going to be the Dutch daddy. So the Dutch <laughs> daddy is on a boat talking to someone and he sees Rebecca on this bridge and there's bikes flying everywhere and he calls her. And when he shouts her, she falls off the bridge and into the canals of Amsterdam and loses her phone. And he says, I've, when I saw you, I had to shout to this beautiful woman. She says, what did you want to shout for me? She's, she's soaked. She's like swimming, lost her phone. And he says, I wanted to say that you're on a cycle path. Um, and I thought that this scene was, uh, well, I thought this whole story was very sweet. But, but let me go through it. And then I'm going to break down what was good and what wasn't so good about this for me. There isn't a lot to talk about here. Rebecca goes to Dutch Daddy's house and uh, he puts her clothes in the dryer and goes off. She can have a shower and clean up after falling in the probably filthy canals of Amsterdam. Um, He goes out because he thinks it's weird to have a shower at a stranger's house and worry about a man having a peephole. But the whole story is about Rebecca accepting everything he's offering for her and, and just enjoying his company and it's like a very, very well done love story in a very, very short time. So he offers her brandy and she says no. And he offers her a foot massage and she says no. And he said, well, you can stand there sober with sore feet then. And then she goes, yeah, okay, I'll have some brandy and a foot massage then. He wears her Dutch daddy's ex's clothes um, because they were a similar build. Um, they have a lovely meal together and Oh, I've written the word here, but I am going to butcher it. He keeps saying... Gazelig? It's Gazella. Gazella. Gazelig. Gazelig. And what it means is like warmth and um, fun. And there isn't a direct English translation, apparently. Haven't looked this up. Um, but it it makes Rebecca happy and feel warm inside and the way i imagined it was like life in a log cabin um in the middle of the woods where everything is just really content and your home is your home and you're pleased with everything around you that's how i kind of read the situation Mm. it gets to the point halfway through the meal where 
Rebecca's clothes are done and she can go and he they go around and they check the tumble dryer and they say, oh no, this is dry. And Rebecca grabs her glass of water and throws it on top of it because she's not ready to leave. She's loving this evening. And so is Dutch Daddy. He does exactly the same. And then he gives her a foot massage and she falls asleep while he's doing it. He goes off to his bedroom, shuts the curtains, and the next morning Rebecca wakes up, was obviously pissed beyond um, how she would normally be because she couldn't remember if they'd slept together. And she said, last night, did we? And Dutch Daddy says, no, we didn't. Um, And there was a really good line at the end where Rebecca, he offers her breakfast and she says, no, I've got to go. And she's about to leave and she goes, I won't forget you. And he says, you might. And they look at each other and he says, people get Alzheimer's, which I just thought was a really funny line. Um, But Rebecca goes back and kisses him. And that's kind of the end of it until we're back on the, the coach where Rebecca is content. And she complained about the use of... Um, I don't know the name of the song. Every little thing is going to be all right by Bob Marley. Yes. You all know the one. Yeah. She complained about it because Ajax play that when they win um, at their home stadium, the Johan Cruyff Arena. Um, so she, she complained. She said, this song is really depressing. And then she gets back on the bus. And when Ted's asking her how she was, um, he said, she says, she just starts singing. And that's actually how we close the episode with all of them singing. Every little thing is going to be all right by Bob Marley. Um, I really liked this story, but I didn't like it within Ted Lasso. I would agree with that. Yes. I think it was a lovely, warm, beautifully shot, beautifully acted piece, but I don't feel like it fit within this. It felt a little creepy to me. Um, I, I I couldn't buy into it because it was just so... I don't I don't want to say overdone, but like this this guy clearly was trying to be respectful and they did a really good job of hit all that. But like Rebecca just bowing into all of it and just uh, mm. getting sucked into it just was really weird to me. Like it, it almost felt like she had been drugged or she like had found some drugs beforehand because <laughs> she was just especially right. by the end, like she was she was love drunk. And it was just yeah. it, it felt really out of character, which like maybe that's the Rebecca that going back to season one, episode seven, Sassy was like, that's not Rebecca. The real Rebecca, is she'll sing, she'll do all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Like maybe this is our first glimpse back at real Rebecca coming out. Yeah, maybe. I think there's a couple of things in this as well that I think are really important. Um, before the Dutch daddy came back to his houseboat. First of all, it was a houseboat. I didn't mention that once. Um, that might add to the creepy factor. Yes. When he comes back to the houseboat, Rebecca's kind of looking around the rooms, and one of the rooms is is the room of a young child, um, a, a, the Dutch daddy's daughter. Um, and um, if we go back a few episodes, this psychic um, reading said Rebecca's going to be a mother. She can't mother her own children. I think they might have something to do with that. There's another part of that reading, which I wanted to check if you picked up on, that happened throughout this episode, but they didn't mention it. I No, I, I've put that psychic scene out of my brain. I, I'm okay. not liking this Rebecca storyline too much. Okay, so so the, the psychic said, I see lightning, and I see you upside down and drenched. And when she fell mm. off the canal bridge, she was upside down and drenched. So um, 
yeah, I think I think there might be more to do with this guy. Um, I almost hope that there isn't because I really love that they never learn each other's names throughout the whole storyline. Um, I didn't find this creepy. I found this really warm and really, like I said, it would be really good as its own short film or mm-hmm. part of something that wasn't Ted Lasso. Um, and I think Hannah Waddingham, again, brilliant acting. I really enjoyed it. Um, the guy who played Dutch Daddy, who I did get his name, but I can't, didn't note it down. Um, really, really good actor. Um, by the end of it, I wanted to be held by him. He just... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it was a good story. I, d- I don't think I got the same vibe as you did. No, and I think part of it is just that a lot of the the psychic storyline is just really weighing me down, um, along right. with the procrastination of reuniting Roy and Keeley, which it seems like that's going to last all season. Yes, um, I think it is. So the, this, this psychic storyline just is so weird, because like you said, with this storyline in particular, it just it doesn't feel like it fits with Ted Lasso. Like we we had last season, which was dedicated to mental health and all this like real world stuff. And now all of a sudden we have a psychic who is predicting specific things that are now happening to Rebecca. And it's just really odd. And maybe maybe this season is drawing attention to psychics and how they're underrepresented (laughs) within society. Only if she was Romani would I have accepted it, but they didn't go out of their way to mention that she was Romani. I very much doubt it, seeing the scene. I very much yeah, doubt she's, it. She's very blonde, among other things. And I, I'm not saying that Romani psychics are not... I, I'm, I'm not try, I'm just trying to make a, a joke, but I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to belittle Romani people. Um, of course. I would not have said Romani if that were the case. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, so let's get to this last storyline here. Uh, we've got the Ted and Beard uh, slash triangle storyline, that, I, as I've called it. Their arc starts once they're back at the hotel after Ted calls the no curfew where he's uh, trying to reach out to Rebecca. He's uh, Ted clearly has like a, a security blanket with Rebecca and uh, they both just kind of have an idea of when they're both not feeling the best. So he's checking in with her uh, for his own mental health as well as hers. And uh, Beard comes out and he's like, hey, did you find a, a place for us to eat? And Ted finds this American restaurant that's got uh, two and a half stars out of five on the, the local food app. 2.7, which I mean, yeah, for American food, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, but Beard's Doing like, we can do a disservice there. <laughs> and Beard's like, we can do better. Um, and then Ted just kind of starts uh, commiserating, saying that he needs to get out of this rut. He's in. He's just not feeling inspired. This, he just needs something to really kick him into into high gear. And Beard walks out very excited with his uh, face mask and electric toothbrush. And he says, been waiting for you to say that for a long time (laughs) so uh kenneth the bus driver apparently hooked up beard with some uh psychedelics or something uh it's not nondescript uh drugs that you're supposed to blend in with something uh to make it taste better because it tastes like death it was peanut butter and jelly that most people put it in or or um yogurt um because they made a big point of what are we having in None of them. And, <laughs> to which Ted responds, that's like hiding poop inside a smoothie of barf. And uh, so, beer drink. Yeah. <laughs> it's a juvenile line. I'm, I wasn't mad on that line. I feel like. Um, yeah, I think like that was, was kind of the point. Of the writer's kids. <laughs> I, I think that was kind of the point because to, just to really show how much Ted does, still does, does not like tea. How do you feel about tea, Josh? I am. 
I am a really weird person. I do not like warm drinks. I can't do hot okay. chocolate. I can't do coffee. I can't do tea. I, if it's a hot drink, I will not drink it because to me, drinks are supposed to be refreshing, not yeah. burning. <laughs> I'll, I'll come to our next episode with a, with a nice old mug of tea and my talking smack mug. <laughs> I would appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry for interrupting. Please carry on. So, um, Beard get, drinks his down and uh, Ted, after a couple of back and forths, just does not do it. And Beard's like, oh, did you even try some? And then we cut back to Beard having a, a little bit of a psychedelic moment where he's like petting the uh, what arms it, of the chair. Yeah, he's just like feeling the, the fabric of the chair. And Ted's just like, coach, you can go if you want. He's like, OK, and like that, that's that's the end of it. Uh, we don't see Beard till the end of the episode. Um, Ted, tries we've had his psychedelic episode. We don't need another one. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Thierry Henry. <laughs> so, Ted tries checking in with Rebecca once again, which um, I did. I did uh, a little continuity catch uh, for those uh, who use iPhones. Um, when you're talking to someone else with an iPhone, it's a blue iMessage that you re- that you see. But now that Rebecca's phone is at the bottom of the a canal. She's not receiving any text messages, but it's changed to green because it's trying to send via the cellular network instead of uh, the connected uh, iPhone network. Well done, Ted Lasso. Uh-huh. Uh, so <laughs> with no response from Rebecca, Ted just decides he's going to down the tea and see what happens. He starts wandering the city and he finds a Van Gogh exhibit, uh, which this is, again, more great face acting from Jason Sudeikis because uh, we're meant to be thinking that he's tripping out throughout this entire sequence. Uh, or he's just like having some kind of weird out of body experience through the drugs, yeah. um, uh, through the Van Gogh exhibit. He, he shares that the, the sunflowers are the state flower for Kansas. And, uh, I, I really love when, uh, Ted, after he gets the, the Van Gogh book from, uh, the, the exhibit guide, uh, he says, mercy buckets, <laughs> which obviously he's, he's trying to say mercy, mercy Boku. <laughs> Mercy Boku, yeah. Mercy Buckets. Yeah, I, I love that because, uh, among other things, Ricky and I, uh, Ricky has a mom who is fluent in French, and Ricky speaks a little bit of French, and I do not. So whenever she says something in French, I just say uh, Merci Boku or... <laughs> oh, we say we say mucky buckets mucky so buckets yeah <laughs> or uh if you're if you're a bluey fan uh there's an episode where bandit speaks some french and i'll say like ou le discotheque <laughs> ou le discotheque <laughs> ou le piscine that's another classic one, ou le yeah. chien <laughs> but this yeah. isn't a blue we could podcast. do another we could do another we could do another podcast <laughs> there we go <laughs> Uh, so Ted ends up going to that American restaurant, which I did not take the name of. I forget exactly what it's called. Um, but uh, they have I, I, they have three themed seating areas. They have the Windy City, the Big Apple, or Hollywood. And Ted makes a bunch of Chicago-specific references, uh, which I think is also meant to kind of allude to the fact that Jason Sudeikis is from the area as well. And the <laughs> the the server, the host, is like, um, he's like uh, Ch- Chicago. And then the server is still like, um, the Windy City. Oh, okay, let's go. And before all that, Ted also asks him, because like, he walks up with a, a pretty decent Southern accent. And Ted's like, hey, we're from, where in America are you from? He's like, oh, Melbourne. And like, oh, you're, you're from Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, I'm just looking for the name of that uh, restaurant. It's not a real restaurant, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so while Joey's doing that, um, Ted's watching uh, the 1991 NBA Finals, which he's clearly seen plenty of times, as have I, being from the Chicagoland area. Uh, he makes a, a non-existent bet with his server saying like, oh, the Bulls are going to win 107 to 86. And she's like, what? And he's like, never mind. I'm, I'm just teasing. I, I used to watch these games with my dad. I remember watching these specific NBA finals with my dad, which again is a really nice callback to Ted just being more comfortable talking about his dad. Yeah. Uh, it was called the Yankee Doodle Burger Barn, which... Um... I take it back. I don't think I would go there. <laughs> I don't know if those portions are accurate and if the, the prices are right, I would probably go there. After some of the devil's lettuce you may do. You may to. Uh... So um, Ted gets an order of his uh, onion ring pyramid as well as some fries. And uh, this is the part that kind of took me out of the episode a little bit where we get some obviously like pumped in like, I don't know if this was recorded like as like a, a feature. I was only six years old when this NBA finals was happening. So like, I can't remember exactly what the broadcasters were talking about, but we were not hearing. I, I can tell you that for a fact that what we hear in the, the show is not what was being said in the game. Uh, but we hear about Phil Jackson's famous triangle offense um, where it's key to the bull success, which Phil Jackson then took to the Lakers and again, had big success with it, despite the fact that Michael Jordan at first hated it. And then Shaq and Kobe Bryant both hated it as well. Um, but I mean, he won 11 NBA championships with it. So who, who, who really uh, was the winner there? Um, but with all this triangle talk and everything, Ted just kind of realizes that triangles are kind of everywhere. So he looks at his onion pyramid. He sees a, mural, a guy on uh, the Chicago mural on the wall with a number three. Ted says, pyramid ain't nothing but a triangle. Actually, triangle, all, all actually three triangles all leaning on each other. And then uh, yeah. he, he has a really quick, like non sequitur vision of Nate, which I think is supposed to kind of be like, oh, he's having a moment of inspiration because Nate always had these like weird moments where like all of a sudden an offensive player strategy would come to him. Uh, but then his uh, his server comes up with uh, a jar of Arthur Bryant barbecue sauce, which is the same sauce that Ted had received in his care package back in season one. And it's that little bit of food that makes him feel like he's back home. I didn't I didn't pick up that that was from season one. Oh, yeah, that's what I did wonder. I, I had a guess that it was a callback, but I didn't quite know it was a callback to. Yep. That's why he's making a big deal out of it. He's like, why did why did you bring me this one? Because he told his server to surprise him with the sauce. And she's like, oh, it's the best one which Ted yeah, yeah. proclaims to Rebecca as well. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but after tasting the the little bit of home, Ted just gets hit with inspiration and the spirit of adventure or TSA uh, starts explaining to Ted the significance and the history of triangles, which, quote, reached its zenith with the triangle offense run by Phil Jackson and the Chicago Bulls. Uh, after the experience, Ted begins jotting down a bunch of stuff in his Van Gogh book. After that, we see him kind of making up plays with the ketchup and mustard bottles, uh, really kind of acting out how this would work. And then we get to the end of the episode, which will wind down here. Uh, we, yes. we also get Beard uh, returning as Piggy Stardust, which uh, to out myself is not uh, a David Bowie fan or like someone who is aware of like things with him. I, I didn't pick up on the fact that it was David Bowie. <laughs> I, I just right. was like, oh, it's the Muppets. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, I knew it was Ziggy Stardust and David Bowie. I just didn't think it was particularly funny, so I decided to ignore it. Um, but but so Ted hands over his notebook full of these tactic ideas to Beard. Beard reads them for for a while, actually, while Jamie comes back and. We have things with Will come in and Rebecca comes in and and he says, did you come up with this by yourself? And he says, yeah. And he said, you should call it Total Football. And he goes, I like that name. And then Beard goes, yeah, it was invented in the 70s here in Amsterdam. Um, which Ted looked quite dejected at. And he goes, do you think it'll work? And Beard goes, absolutely. So they're going to give that a go next time. And I think this will see a, an upturn in results because... Total football is, um, if you've got the right players for it, is unstoppable. Interesting. I was curious how how that is usually implemented. So I'm wondering if that is it is kind of uh, meant to be like how the triangle offense worked in the NBA. Because yeah, if if you have the right players for it, it's pretty much guaranteed success. I don't I don't know the NBA. I don't know basketball really at all. I know you've got to get the ball in the hoop. That's as far <laughs> as it goes. But. Um, for for football, um, total football be, means exactly what Ted, Ted said. Really, no one is tied to one position. So when you attack, you all attack, and you leave fairly minimal defense. But it means if you can if you can get the right players, it means when you push forward to in the offense, you have you outnumber their defense, and then when you're on defense, if you push back together, it means you outnumber their offense. So it's 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 really hard to break down and really hard to defend against. Hmm. Yeah. So I imagine it's something similar. Yeah. So so Ted kind of explains it like his players are too their players are too rigid. They need more freedom and they need to play to the point where positions don't matter, which obviously that became a big sticking point with Zavo, where Zavo was the position and everyone else just yeah. played defense essentially. Yeah, and then and then Rebecca comes in and does that. Every little thing is going to be all right. And we drive off um, to go back to Richmond with all the players singing. Every little thing is going to be all right. And I thought that was really cheesy, but I think it fit. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree. I, I I liked Rebecca being a little more laid back in this moment, but uh, it still felt really out of place. Just because, again, for me, from my perspective, that storyline was still just a little too creepy. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I didn't pick up creepy, but I I understand what you mean. Thinking about it, houseboat or wood in the middle of Amsterdam, wearing someone's ex's clothes after yours are held down, and yeah, I understand it. Just didn't feel the same way. Yeah. So Joey, out of ten, how would you rate this episode? This wasn't my favorite. Um, I think particularly after last week's being so good as well, I found this one was. Um, a little bit anticlimactic. Um, and I think I'd give it a six out of 10. I still think it's Ted Lasso. And I think Ted Lasso's done very well every time. As much as I'm pained to admit, even the Coach Beard episode is done well for what it is, but it's not what I would expect from Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. So above average, but below Ted Lasso average. I would give it a six out of 10 as well, just because I, I agree 100%. It, it, I think it's too long. I think they could have just maybe shortened up a couple of those storylines. Um, I, I know there's a lot of character stuff in there, so I don't know exactly where they would have made the changes. Uh, and I also definitely would not split this into two parts where you have like three and three. 
Um, Absolutely not. Yeah, so I, I don't know what exactly you cut because I do think that a lot of the character stuff is really good and really important, but it it's still just it feels like they could have put these character moments into other episodes that were would have been more entertaining. Agreed. Agreed. Now, um, to make sure that we keep this episode shorter than the episode <laughs> of Ted Lasso, we're going to fire through our quiz today, and unfortunately, we don't have a mad story, so that works in our favor here, Josh. So. Question one for you. In what ground do Ajax play? Join Kreef. Kreef. Well done. And and good pronunciation. Um, how many points is considered safe to avoid relegation from the Premier League? Um, I don't even know how many points. Uh, let's, let's say uh, 36. I'm going to get... It's 39... You were so close, I'm going to give it to you. I think in most <laughs> Premier League seasons, 36 would be fine, but 39 is considered mathematically safe. Okay, I was going to, I was either going to go 36 or 42, because then I can keep the okay. uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy joke. But Nice. <laughs> you made the right choice. Um, so what is it called when someone scores three goals within a single game? In hockey, it's called a hat trick. Is that your answer? No, but I'm going to stick with okay. it because I don't know. Josh, you are three for three at the moment. It's a hat trick. Oh, cool. Um, what is Arsenal Football Club's nickname? Um, let's go with the Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, it's the Gunners. Okay. Um, I'm, I, was, Arsenal, I was close. Gunners. You know, they're Navy. You got guns on boats. Don't don't know if I agree with you, but we'll, we'll stick with it. And and then I mentioned this all the way back in Dad Pod, so I hope you were Ooh. listening. What are the set of rules called that stop excessive spending in football? The the salary cap. I don't know. That's that's what they have in the NFL. You are three out of five. Uh, it was financial fair play or FFP. Okay. Um, so three out of five, it's massive improvement on last time of zero on five. So <laughs> I feel like we're getting there, Josh. All right. But that is that is me done. If we finish this in the next 14 seconds, we'll be shorter than the episode. All right. Well, in the words of Ted Lasso quoting Walt Whitman. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing we can fix this in the edit. Fix it in post. Every, every editor's nightmare phrase. <laughs> Come on, you can do it. It says it's going. You got to keep all that in there. <laughs> but then we're going to um, be longer. <laughs> okay, take it out. Take it out, Josh. All right. So in the in the words of Ted Lasso, quoting Walt Whitman, "Be curious, not judgmental." And in the words of Roy Kent, "Scram, whistle, whistle, scram, whistle, whistle." What? 